Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, welcome back to the Kevin Clifton Show. And first of all, thank you for all your messages. I've had loads of uh, great feedback about uh, doing this Strictly mini-series, a Strictly Speaking series, um, and I had a good chat to you all on Instagram Live um, the other night, um, just to chat about Strictly and answer loads of questions, and, uh, and I've had lo lots of lovely messages on on Twitter saying about how uh, people have, en have enjoyed the first episode of Strictly Speaking. Um, so yeah, I'm going to continue doing this and hopefully it's bringing a lot of value to you all um, in terms of giving a bit of a sort of, um, giving some of the inside information on the creative processes um, of being a pro on Strictly and you know why we make certain decisions in terms of choreography or um, costumes or songs or um, you know how we go about each dance and and where we were in our own careers at the time and, and um you know what what was going through our our heads at the time and doing a big strictly retrospective look back at lots of old series of strictly and hopefully at the same time it gives you a chance to have a look at some of the dances you know from the past of strictly just go on youtube and, and re-watch the dances that we're talking about and um give you a bit of a strictly experience because God knows we could all do with it right now, obviously with everything that's going on. Um, you know, Strictly is something that uh, we could all do with on telly and I, I can't wait until it comes on uh, because we need that bit of entertainment right now, I think. And hopefully this Strictly, Strictly Speaking mini-series gives us a chance to watch Strictly on YouTube and, and relive some of those moments and uh, delve into those moments a little bit. And, and find out about them and, and give a bit of sort of inside info on the whole thing. Um, so, but before we get back into it, like, I hope everyone's doing all right. Obviously, this is it's a pretty, uh, pretty tough time for a lot of people with coronavirus. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, about this time at the moment, and um, I've talked a lot on this podcast about a book called The Values Factor and how as humans what we tend to do is we we live our lives going down a certain path and we think that it has to stay down that path in terms of what our identity is like we love this kind of music we hate reading books we um love to eat this we hate that tv show um we like or dislike hanging out with friends or drinking alcohol or staying in or or this is what i should or shouldn't do with my career and we, t we tell ourselves these stories and, and we, they form our identities and we tend to hang on to them. We tend to fight for them. And, and e even if it's something that we're not, that deep down inside, we're not that necessarily bothered about, we tend to fight for it anyway. And um, we tend to say things a lot like, oh, if I only had time, if I had the time to do it, I'd love to do this. Oh, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to do that or do this or learn that. Um, you know, or learn that new skill or take a course in that or blah, 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 but I never have any time. And I guess if there's one positive to come out of this at the moment, and, and obviously there's a lot more negatives and positives, but if there's one positive to come out of it, it's that we've all been given a gift of time right now. Suddenly, you know, for most of us, and obviously I'm not talking about the all of our heroic key workers and NHS staff and, you know, everyone that is still working hard um, for the rest of us. Those of, those of us that are kind of stuck at home, you have to look at it like we've been given this gift of time. 
And what I'm really interested in is what everyone chooses to do with that time. Now, there's a lot of pressure on people to um, either, you know, think that they have to be productive in some way or learn something or, you know, do something. Um, and some people are like that. I'm, I'm a bit like that. I, I like to be productive. I like working on new things. Um, I, I don't like only... Well, I do like sitting around and being lazy all day. I do like it, but then I start to put pressure on myself that I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't just sit around and laze around all day, that I should be working, I should be productive. And I don't necessarily think everyone should do that. Um, none of this is about what we, what we should do. I think right now we should take stock of, of recognizing what we are actually doing. Like, it's really interesting to see what we do with our time. Some people are choosing to take some time to just uh relax and and you know watch things on netflix because they never get to to do that in normal life everyone's working so hard and, and there's nothing wrong with that just taking a bit of time for yourself and just just to relax and sort of reset um you know to start working hard again when this is all over um some people have decided to learn things on online courses some people are reading, some people have decided to do online courses. Like if, if you look a lot of the Strictly Come Dancing crew at the moment, they're all doing sort of online dance classes and workouts and, and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, because what we do is we, we actually, we always act towards our highest values, the things that we actually want to do. So we'll say, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to learn piano. If only I had time, I'll, I'll learn piano. But then when we've actually got time, we don't necessarily learn the piano. It's just something that we were saying. Um, we actually spend our time watching Netflix or we spend our time reading and, or learning about something else or deciding to be creative in some other area. And I just, there's no should or shouldn't in any of this. I just find it very interesting. Um, now that we've got all this time, what we surround ourselves with you know, do we surround ourselves with movies or books or, um, you know, what clothes are we wearing during the day? Are we just um, slobbering around in in our pyjamas all day or are we dressing up anyway because we want to feel like we like we feel good in our clothes every day? Like what are the things that we're doing? And then, you know, the actual things that we're doing with our day, what are we choosing to um, spend our time on? And for me personally, I found it very interesting in that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not dancing all day. I'm not, say, doing online dance courses for everyone from my living room, like a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm, I've actually spent, been spending a lot of time doing some writing. So I have done a writing course, an online writing course <clears throat> um, that I got on the Masterclass series of online courses. It was a course with David Mamet. And... I'm doing some writing myself. I'm writing some of my own stories. <clears throat> um, you know, who knows? Potentially that could end up being uh, maybe a biography of sorts or just a book about my experiences in my career. Um, I've also had some ideas for a play. I've been watching a lot of the um, streams of, of theatre, like some of the plays and musicals that have been that, that have been streaming themselves online. And I've been I've been watching them and then I've been because I've been relaxing more, I've been having a lot more creative ideas because um, we tend to do when we're more relaxed and not filling our brains with other stuff. And so I've been I've started writing a play um, 
And so it's interesting to me that that's the actual thing that I want to do. Like I might say, oh, if I had time, I'd, I'd learn piano or learn guitar or I'd, you know, I'd learn a new language, whatever. But what I found myself actually doing is doing a lot of writing. So maybe that's something that actually is more truthful to my set of values, what I actually value in life, what I want to do with myself, what I want to do with my life is maybe I, I enjoy writing. And maybe it's a good exercise for everyone to have a look at what is the thing that they actually like doing. And it can be as trivial as just discovering something new to watch on Netflix and, and watching that. Or it could be that you've taken to doing arts and crafts with your kid a lot and you're enjoying doing that maybe you're playing in the garden a bit more like you never used to go outside and now you're enjoying like playing with your kids in the garden or, or you know there can be all sorts of all sorts of things that, that we like doing maybe you've started making things maybe you've started your own podcast maybe you've taken an interest somewhere in something that wasn't there before and that's probably coming some from somewhere that's actually speaking to you like that's actually what you want to do um with your time um, so I think, I think it's a nice little exercise just to have a, just to take stock of, of what your values are, because we always act towards our highest values. We say things all the time, but we don't always say what is actually the truth. We might think it's the truth of, of what we want for ourselves. Um, but we act in different ways. And like I say, I found myself writing a lot more than I thought I, I, I ever would. And maybe that's a, a true value for me is, is want, wanting to write a lot. So, yeah, hopefully all of you are, are discovering new things about yourself. T take it as an exercise in learning things about yourself. Um, and maybe you'll discover that you have a new passion for something um, throughout this lockdown. Maybe you won't, and that's okay too. Maybe it's just about resting. Maybe you've realized that you've been working really hard and you just really needed the rest, and that's okay too. With that being said, also what I enjoy doing is the podcast. And um, I've decided, I've been saying a while, for a while about looking back and doing this Strictly Speaking series, looking at Strictly Come Dancing. So here we are. Um, the episode last week uh, finished at the end of the Halloween episode of the 2013 series. It was my first series on Strictly where I'm dancing with Susanna Reid. And we just had a bit of the incident with the hairy hand in the lift with, with Susanna. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, uh, first episode of this series go back and listen to that uh, weeks one to six of the 2013 series and, and go and watch the numbers on YouTube and um, hopefully there'll be some interesting insight to uh, how the season was going um, so this is part two uh, a follow-up of that particular series so heading into week seven so on week seven, if you type into YouTube, uh, Susanna and Kevin, week seven, it'll come up with our waltz uh, that we danced to You Light Up My Life. Now, I feel like this was a real turning point for Susanna because so far in the series, we've done a lot of kind of fun stuff or I guess the, the, the tango in week two was kind of sort of a bit, a bit more serious, but it was sort of fast and furious at the same time um that there was a lot of energy to a lot of our numbers we'd done the samba in week four that was sort of chaos we'd done a jive in week one that was chaos um and this was this was a real chance to show that elegance that she showed in week three of of, of the viennese waltz but now she was at a point where she's learned a lot more of the ballroom technique she's been doing it for for longer she's seven weeks in so once, once you're about halfway through a series of Strictly, 
it's not just a case of say fitness that's picked up i think the celebrities get into a zone about halfway through where they're, they're used to the sort of mental practice of learning stuff so that, that they get very used to the the eight hour days that where they're just taking on board information about movement and how to apply their bodies into it and and things don't feel quite as alien to them um so when, when we're talking about waltz in week seven, I could talk a lot about the ballroom numbers that we'd already done. So we'd done an American smooth foxtrot. We'd done a Viennese waltz. We'd done a tango. So on day one, you come in and you say, right, remember your ballroom hold. Um, remember how to get into frame and, and, and keep your elbows up and, and keep your right side to my right side and, and, and all of those things. So she could easily slip back into the hole and the hold was starting to improve at this point. Um, and I suppose, you know, like m most people will, will remember in me and Susanna's partnership will remember us for the Paso that we ended up doing at Blackpool um, the week later. But I look back at this week as, like I say, a real turning point for her because I think she really showed a lot of class and, and it really showed how versatile she was as well as, as a celebrity on, on Strictly. Um, that being said, there was a lot, there's a lot of pressure on the week before Blackpool. So nowadays Blackpool is week nine in Strictly, but on my first series, um, it was on week eight. So week seven was like the Blackpool qualifier. Um, and there's a bit of pressure goes into that because there's such a lot of um, hype surrounding Blackpool. It's a, it's a big episode for Strictly and everyone wants to be there. And, and it is a genuine thing. Like us as pros, we're, we're genuinely excited to go and dance um, in, in the Blackpool ballroom. It, it does feel very special. And the celebs, um, for one, you know, it's, it's a big milestone to say that they made Blackpool on Strictly. They made it that far. Uh, it sort of signals the the business end of the, of the Strictly series once you get to Blackpool. Um, you know, once you go past Blackpool, it really is game on. It's like, right, who out of this bunch is going to be in the final? Whereas you're not really thinking about that in sort of week four. Um, so everyone wants to make Blackpool. Um, and yeah, so, so there's pressure, there's pressure on it. Um, but, but like I say, at the same time, we're halfway through the series. So, Susanna was used to sort of how we were working and, and as a couple you know you, you find you find a groove between a pro and, and celeb on Strictly you, you find your way of working and everyone's different and it's it's the pro's job to work out how that celebrity works best and some celebrities like like to train a lot and or do lots of hours or they like to be pushed they like to be really told no you're doing that wrong or um you know, you know they're very keen and eager to learn some of them like more of an arm around their shoulders they they like to just be encouraged and, and you have to go a bit more gentle a bit more gentle with them um and none, none of it is right or wrong it's just how people are as humans and, and how they work and i've always found that a really really interesting part of, of the show is sort of discovering a person as a human being and what it is that makes them tick you know what it what it is that that encourages them or, or makes them feel comfortable um, what inspires them, what motivates them. And, and a lot of our job as, as pros on the show is not just being dance teachers, but it's finding that way of, of motivating your partner and making them feel comfortable and, and yeah, getting the best out of them. Um, so, yeah, with our... Um, with our was yeah, I'm, I'm looking looking at it back on YouTube now. It, re it really was one, one of her best dances for Susanna, for me. 
um, it's when we got to dress up in a tail suit and a ballroom dress and you always feel quite special when you get to do that and, and you have to understand that you not every week like every ballroom couple that's on you can't all be in a tail suit and, and ballroom dress so I know fans of sort of the ballroom competition world sometimes get a bit complainy if, if it doesn't feel you know what, what, what they perceive to be traditional it's not always quite traditional but it's the people that perceive the ballroom competition world to be sort of traditional and gospel and that's how it should be done um, sometimes get a little bit of a bit annoyed when you're not wearing a tail suit and a ballroom dress it's like oh why why would you wear that for a waltz but you also have to understand that you know you're making lots of different narrative pieces um, lots of different dances with different characteristics and stories it's not just ballroom competition theme week every every week um but when you do get to wear a tail suit if it's a very sort of classy number that you're going for in, in ballroom and you get to wear a tail suit and and your partner's in a ballroom dress it does feel kind of special i always, I always try and get it in at least once in a series you know i'll say any, any chance i could go down the tail suit route this week and this was a chance for us to do that sort of strictly tail suit and and ballroom dress uh costuming now, when you look at the choreography, um, I, I sort of laughed to myself a little bit because um, this dance really, if you wanted to look, if, if there was a blueprint for how I go about ballroom dances on as a choreographer on Strictly, um, this would probably be it. Um, you look at, th th there's a step called fall away whisks that if you notice, so it, it's when we go into, for those of you who know ball, we go into a promenade position and we step through into promenade and then whisk around. So both, both sort of cross our feet um, behind into like, like locking the foot behind the other one and then off into the next one. Uh, they're called the fall away whisks. And for, for whatever reason, I've found fall away whisks an easy step to teach someone who doesn't know how to dance. I don't know whether that's the step itself or whether it's just me that I've somehow I connect with that step. Um, but I've always found that it's a step that I can put in a, a ballroom routine. I can teach it quite easily to a celeb. And, and, and if a celeb understands it and dances it nicely, it looks really nice. It's a really nice step to watch and it looks quite complicated in terms of the foot pattern. Probably looks a little, a little more complicated than it is. Um, and so in this, I do, I think it's four fall away whisks in a row. Um, and if you look on it, just, you know, if you're ever looking at any of my ballroom routines on YouTube, a lot of the time you'll see these fall away whisks because you can pretty much get them into any dance, uh, going across any rhythm. Um, you know, you just change the style differently. So if you're doing it in tango, you keep them a bit sharper and flatter. You don't have so much any sort of rise and fall. Um, in foxtrot and waltz they're quite similar or in quick step you can run through them on your toes um, but it's it's and, and in argentine tango you can even throw them in um, and just make them a little more flicky with the feet and relax the hold a bit so you can use fall away whisks as, as a step in any ballroom tense and i found that once once a celeb has learned that step you can throw it into all the other routines in their ballroom and say right into a fall away whisk remember that one and they remember it from from when you taught it to them and said we're going to do it exactly like that but just change it slightly like this so in this waltz i do four fall away whisks in a row and then looking for a big crescendo when the music goes bigger um we go into pivots pivots is sort of the step where you, you're turning around and around and around and around and you just keep turning in in, in hold and um 
it's very much a staple. It's very sort of strictly 101 to go into pivots um, because it's a good looking step. You know, it looks fast and, and twirly, which is what people like, you know, it always gets a clap. And um, if, you can, if you can do it, then it's always worth having a go at it. Um, it it's, it's, very, it's quite a difficult step to get together, actually. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of sort of counterbalancing and, and understanding of understanding of positioning of, of a partnership uh, to each other. So, but at this point, uh, Susanna did seem to get a hold of the pivots. She did seem to understand them. So I decided to really let fly and do like a whole circle around the floor. And as, as you can see, when we do it, um, the cameramen use that technique where if you're pivoting around one way, the camera will, the steady cam who, who is on the floor with us a lot of the time, that's what people don't see sat at home that, you know, on the floor, there's, there's a cameraman running around with a camera. There's not just the static cameras in use. Um, he, he'll, as we're doing pivots around one way, he'll run around the other way. Um, so that it looks even faster. So a lot of the time pivots just look great for the viewer at home and they look great in the studio. So they, so it always gets a clap. Um, so I've thrown in four fall away whisks and a load of pivots in a massive circle just to create like a big crowd pleasing moment out of a slow classical routine, because that's, the, that's the difficulty as well is finding the balance. Um, you know, you're always going into a week quite confident when you're going in with like a jive or a quick step or a Charleston, something that has loads of energy to it. Maybe like for me, even a Paso has a lot of drama to it. So you always feel quite confident knowing that somewhere, wherever you're placed in the order, you've got a big dance to be going in with. It's an impressive dance for the audience. Whereas things like a waltz or a rumba, like to, to the people that are educated in ballroom dancing, they can appreciate what you're doing with, a, with one of the slower dances. But I've heard a lot of people say as a viewer that that, that would be their time to go make a cup of tea because they like the fast energy ones. Um, so to create something with the slow dances, the rumbas and the waltzes, um, you're always looking for that balance. You're always looking for a good balance of something that looks very elegant and beautiful and, and sort of artistic. And, and you know, maybe it's slightly emotional, maybe, maybe it affects people in a different way to the energy dances. You still want to create a beautiful story, but you still want to have something of a wow moment within the routine because you want something for the audience to clap at some point. Um, I think you've got to be really good um, to to pull off a routine that is purely um, a sort of classical slow routine that's based on a lot of basic um, and doesn't have anything any sort of a wow moment in it um, and 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 truly affect an audience. You know, you might be able to appreciate the technique that went into it, but to truly affect an audience, you've got to really perform it well. And I'm not saying it can't be done. Um, but it's very difficult, especially for a non-dancer, um, Susanna being one of them. Um, but so we threw in sort of the full away whisks and pivots to create a bit of a crowd pleasing moment. But at the same time, I do think she, so, she showed a lot of class and a lot of quality in, in her dancing in, in that waltz. Um, I was really proud of her that week. And I remember if you look right at the end of the routine, we do, uh, we're sort of turning around each other and using sort of an arm movement as we do it, we both, we both sort of circle an arm um, up in the air and then backwards. 
Um, and I remember actually uh, having our one hour session with Jason Gilkerson. He came in to look at the routine and to have, to have a look at what we'd done so far. And that was his suggestion. It, suggestion. We, we were turning around each other at the end and he just said to me, I would just add an arm in at the end just to give it that extra touch right at the end. And, and so rather than just holding on to each other and turning around, which was my initial choreography, Jason said to me, why don't you use that arm as well? And if you can match it and mirror it, it'll, it'll just look nice. It's not that difficult to do. It's just, it's just an arm. But for some reason, it, he was right. It really set that ending apart and I think the judges even might have commented on it in you know in terms of the, the use of our arms at the end and that it was perfectly matched and um, yeah that that's where someone like Jason Gilkerson you know or one of his assistants coming in for an hour to spend with us is really helpful because they're just that third eye that goes if you just did this that would really just top off you know sort of put a cherry on top of the routine um, yeah, and we got four nines for it. Even Craig said he loved it. Fantastic. Um, so I suppose when they're saying how much they loved it and they're going nine, nine, nine with the marks and then Bruno's the last one to hold it up, I suppose when you wait for Bruno's marks, sometimes he has a tendency just to go one higher than the others. So when you've got a nine from Craig when you stood there waiting for those marks, there's always that bit of you that goes, like if Craig's given a nine, that bit that goes, are we gonna get a 10 here? Um, so he's gone nine, Darcy's gone nine, Len's gone nine, and then you're just waiting for Bruno, thinking, is Bruno gonna give us a 10? Uh, but he didn't, he gave us a nine, but it was still still a really good score, 36 for, for our waltz. Um, and I suppose I thought at this at this stage, once we got four nines, I thought I thought, yeah, we're going to be going to Blackpool. I didn't think we'd get eliminated. Um, so who got eliminated? That we have written down. Oh, it was um, it was Dave Myers, the hairy biker, and Karen. Um, they were a fantastic couple that year. I loved watching them. Um, they, they got eliminated on on week seven. So he did. We did really well. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I thought, yeah, we're going to be going to Blackpool. But I, I still don't think at this point that I genuinely genuinely was thinking about the final. Um, I wasn't thinking necessarily that we were in a position to win the series or anything like that. I just thought, you know, it's nice that they're taking us seriously um, for some dancing ra rather than just the sort of, you know, the bounce, bum and bongos of the samba that, that, that Len was saying um, and the sort of chaotic energy stuff. Um and so we went into Blackpool, like off we went. Um, and for Blackpool, we got to do Paso. And I, I remember being made up about this because in, in my head go, going into Blackpool, like I wanted to do something grand. Blackpool's a really important place for me. I've grown up doing competitions there and winning British championships there. And I, I wanted to do something as big and grand as the ballroom itself. And so I'd said from quite early on if we were to make it to Blackpool please can we do Paso I just always had it in my head that I wanted to do Paso at Blackpool and to do it to sort of big grand orchestra music then I was going through lots of different suggestions and somewhere along the line it was thrown up that that we would do um, Los Toreadors uh, by Bizet from, from Carmen which is the music they play um, at the end when they're doing the results of the Formula One, actually. It's sort of music that everyone recognises, but they don't know what from. And it was actually, it had been used in the early versions of Burn the Floor as well. So Jason Gilkerson had danced to it um, 
in, in Burn the Floor. And we talked about doing that and it was going to be a question of whether the instruments would work and everything with Dave Arch and the orchestra because, you know, they don't have a massive, massive orchestra. Um, but they are very good at creating the sound of what you want. Um, so it was whether they were going to be able to play it. Um, they agreed that they would. And I was really made up with the music because I, I just... Music is so important, especially when you go to Blackpool. Like, I'm very panicky when you go into Blackpool with a celeb about, you know, if, if you're sort of, I would never want to do a rumba there or, I don't know, a waltz or something. I'm not saying that's the same for everyone, but for me, I always want to do something that's going to be big, either energetic, um, either fast paced or there's some big idea like some big kind of prop or you're coming down from the ceiling or something that's going to be grand and Paso was was my ultimate and um, I think pretty much since it, it's been Paso's been the one um, for quite a long time since then that Paso is the one that everyone wants to do at Blackpool because it just gets a great reaction and it seems to fit in, in the Blackpool Tower ballroom so I was happy that we we're in Blackpool and that we were going to be doing Paso. Um, and obviously, you know, look, if you look back at it on, on YouTube now, Susanna and Kevin, week eight, this is the number that this partnership will always be remembered for. And this is the number that, that people still talk to me about and say, you oh, this was always one of my favorites that you did. Um, it's so weird. I, I didn't have necessarily, I didn't have that sense when we were in rehearsal. Um, I think we were just so focused on the work and I've talked about this before in that sometimes if you're too focused on the result itself it doesn't quite work out how you're hoping um, or it's never you know or it puts a lot of pressure on yourself whereas if you just focus on the work itself rather than what you're hoping the consequence of the work will be um, then often the work it works out better for you and I remember being very engrossed in this number but there's no part of me that was thinking right we got four nines this week this week we have to get tens um, it wasn't like that I, I, I just thought I was just happy to be doing Paso at Blackpool to a great bit of music and was just focused on the dance itself and didn't think didn't really have a sense of it being this sort of big worldy of a dance um, because some dances you do, even when you're doing it and you're focused on the work, sometimes you just think, this is a really good dance. You, by the time you get there on a Friday, just sometimes you're feeling more confident than other weeks. There'll be a Friday where, you know, to do your camera blocking at Elstree, you walk in and you just know that this is a good dance um, for you and your partner. And, and you feel very confident about it and you have a feeling that it's going to go well that weekend. And other dances you worry about, you think, oh, I just don't, I don't feel as strong this weekend. I never had that sense with this dance that it was a particularly sort of mind-blowing performance. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what, what big of a deal it was going to be. Um, in terms of the choreography, it's, if you're looking at it now on YouTube, it's quite a simple dance, actually, choreographically. But this is my, this is my thing, and I, I know I've, I've said it before. But as a choreographer, you don't have to try and impress all the time. I don't think your aim should be to try and be creative, to try and be as different and, and creative with your choreography as possible. Don't try and show off a skill as a choreographer. Um, a dance doesn't have to be complicated to be a great dance. And this was a, a classic example of that. Um, 
So uh, in terms of the paso, we, we worked very much on how to walk and how to stride in a paso doble, having the hips forward and angled up like projecting up to the top balcony and having an attitude and character about when you walk so that, so that she would walk out very confident. And so it con the routine itself contained a lot of kind of striding and walking. And in terms of the counts, it was quite simple, but, but we worked on a few key elements of paso doble like the the chasse cape and the twist turns. So I knew that I wanted to start off with, uh, as we got into the paso, I knew I wanted to start off with um, four slow, like normal speed twist turns and then speed them up. So you'll see from the first part when we actually come together um, and, and the, the music kind of, it all goes quiet. And then and then fades into and as it starts into that we go off into promenade and we start doing twist turns we do four normal speed ones and then speed them up before we separate again and i always knew that i wanted to do that so we worked on those basic elements of twist turns and chassis capes and the shaping of it all and the rest we just worked on how to characterize and walk around and own the ballroom without having to overdo the choreography and it just ended up working way better than I ever thought it thought it would. Like um, Susanna performed it so well, like she she just smashed it on the night. Um, I'd said from the beginning, costume-wise, that I wanted her to be in a red um, kind of flamenco dress. So I was I was saying to them all the time, red, red, red. It's got to be bright red. Um, and we talked about with with the dance team that this big red sheet was gonna. Sort of, so this big red cloth was going to come over at the end, and that was the only prop we, that we were going to use. Um, and um, so we were hearing red, red, red all the time. So then, and I'd said that I wanted to be in a Strictly Ballroom style bolero jacket because I'm so obsessed with Strictly Ballroom. And you can see actually for fans of Strictly Ballroom, when Scott Hastings is doing those barrel turns that he does, those big barrel jumps, um, I threw a couple of them in for myself. And it was, it was very um, Strictly Ballroom. Some of the positions as well were very Scott, Scott Hastings inspired. And most of my passos are, to be honest. Um, so uh, I ended up with a red um, sort of flamenco outfit. So she was in all red. The cloth was red. I was in all red. Um, and it was an amazing outfit. Uh, just an amazing outfit that they made me. Um, and I've, st I've still got it, actually, because I, I bought it off them at the end. Um, and what we did, the, the trousers were sort of short, so they weren't the typical like Latin trousers with, with a sort of leather waist that a lot of people wear in, in the, when they're doing a paso. They're, they're those high, really high-waisted uh, red trousers, but came higher up on the ankle like an actual matador rather than, a, you know, a paso doble ballroom dancer. They were like an actual matador's trousers. Um, so I'd never worn something like that before. They were so tight. I remember when I first put them on, I could hardly move in them. Um, I, was, I felt really strapped into that outfit. There wasn't a lot of give. Um, and what they did that was really clever, at the beginning, um, if you're watching it on YouTube now, there's, there's the part where I'm doing like these flamen flamenco stamps. And we decided to have like a board on the floor that flamenco dancers use and then put microphones in my shoes. So we, rec we recorded some taps as well, so that just in case anything didn't work, the recording was played in at the beginning. So what you're hearing is sort of a mixture of the recording of the taps that we did and my actual taps that are happening on the night um, where, where I've, I've actually got microphones in my shoes. They went down through my trousers and through my sock and then down into my shoes. 
um, which, which I just thought was really cool, but took a lot of, of, of getting ready. And then obviously we added in sort of fire on the day and stuff. And uh, the whole thing just, just, it looked brilliant and Susanna killed it. And um, I think the music gave a great sense of, it gave a lot of drama to the dance. And I do remember on the Friday performing the number um, for, for, for the cameras without costumes first. And everyone around us just having this sense of, that's a brilliant number. Everyone kept coming up to us and saying, your Paso is, is amazing. And like I say, I didn't, I didn't have that sense necessarily that it was that big of a, of a number. I, I felt like it was good, but, but I didn't realize, I wasn't seeing it from the outside like everyone else was seeing it. And uh, so I suppose I felt quite excited to perform it the next day, but I didn't know how it was gonna go. Um, and I'd said to Susanna at, on, on the Friday, I remember saying to her, if, you know, like people are saying this is really good. I don't know how the crowd are going to react. I don't know whether they're going to like it or not. If the crowd react well to us, you know, if there's a standing ovation, something like that tomorrow, the end um, position is sort of a classic um, Paso Doble ending where there's sort of a drop with the, with the girl and she ends up on the floor. Um, with the, um, the man standing over her. And, and I, I wanted to do it where I, I was just stood out with my arms out projecting to the back balcony with Susanna laying down on the floor in front of me. Um, because the Paso is supposed to be this sort of big masculine dance um, where, the, where you tend to have the levels of, of like the man has a, is higher up than, than the woman in this dance. Um, she sort of, the woman plays a role of um, leaning almost away from the man and, and lowering herself um, to sort of, it's like she's worshipping the man, but not in a way that makes him superior because she's very much in control and letting him have that power and enjoying that power for the dance. I still think the woman's very much in control, but, um, but, but she's enjoying sort of um, showing off the man at the time. That, that, that's a lot of what the dance is about or a version of anyway, um, that, that's one aspect of it. Um, so we had this ending and I said to her, if, if the audience reacts well, just stay still for, for like four or five seconds, just stay on the floor, don't move, because the second you move and start to get up, then people will be taken out of the moment and the context will change and suddenly you're not in this big grand uh, operatic moment you're now in, oh, it's Kevin and Susanna and they're just getting up and they're going to go over and get their scores. So the, contact, the context in the audience's brain changes. So I said, just stay there and let them clap if, if that's the way it goes. And I remember when we finished, when we, when, when we finished the, da the dance and she went down on the floor and I banged my arms out, the, the noise in, in, in the tower ballroom was deafening. Like it was so loud. Um, someone told me afterwards at the time that it had, they think it had broken like the decibel record for that for the tower ballroom for how loud it was in there that night in terms of a crowd cheering um, and Susanna just stayed there and it's really funny because Bruce Forsyth's going Susanna wake up don't go to sleep don't go to sleep and I'm thinking for all I've got in my head do not move do not give in to what Bruce's Forsyth's joke right now you have to stay there and she did like, to, to her credit and then, you know, when, when I pick her up um, and before we go over to get our judges' comments, 
you can see it in my eyes at that moment. If you see me just after I've picked up Susanna and I sort of look at her and then we're about to move over and get our comments, you can see it in my eyes. I'm quite emotional at that moment. And, and you can see that it, it was a big, big moment. It was a life-changing moment, really. I think it was a moment that changed the whole course of our, um, of our journey on that series. And it was a moment that basically changed my whole career and and that's why i call this one a worldie but basically there are there are dances on strictly that that i think that there's there's you know bad dances there's not bad dances there's good dances there's great dances and there's worldies and the worldies are the ones that will always be remembered sort of in the whenever you see a collection of great moments from strictly you'll remember this dance you you, you think of things like um jill halfpenny's jive or Jay McGuinness's jive, um, you, you know, big numbers like that. Jake Wood's salsa, um, just be, uh, Mark Ramprakash and Karen Hardy getting tangled up in the microphones and then doing that salsa, like n- numbers like this. That there are worldy moments. You'll always remember Ed Balls doing um, Gangnam Style, um, and I'm always looking for like that, that next worldy, like like, b- like bang down the middle. Everyone's gone nuts will always be remembered in the history of Strictly type dances. And this, I guess, was for me, you know, for Susanna, obviously, but, but also for me, it was like our first worldie on Strictly. And because I say that it, it changed the course of our series, I, th- I think from this moment, we went from being a couple that everyone was sort of enjoying, a bit chaotic, but, but you know, like in a, in a sweet way, to, oh, she's improving a bit, to suddenly, wow, could Susanna make the final here like suddenly people started taking notice like we could actually make the final and for me I I think the perception for me went from being uh, sort of this cheeky lad you know Kevin from Grimsby who was you know doing some fun numbers with Susanna it was a fun little partnership Um, but you know and I saw some comments actually afterwards that it's like but almost it was fun but it wasn't taken that seriously for, for the Strictly viewers to then suddenly I was being taken seriously now as a, as a dancer and a choreographer on the show and and um, yeah it, it changed my whole career remember on like on my first series I, I was I was just desperately trying to keep my job basically because I'd been turned down a couple of times I told that story in the first but I'd, I'd I'd been turned down for Strictly before and I'd just got onto the show at the very last minute for me I just wanted to keep keep a place on the show and I think that number, if anything, probably cemented my place on the show um, and probably gave me a job um, for the next year and, and beyond. Um, so it's, it was a big moment for me. And yeah, like I say, it wasn't it wasn't that complicated a routine. It was just the atmosphere and the performance of it um, that Susanna brought that, that really kind of sent it over the edge. Um, you don't, yeah, you know, you don't have to go for what feels the most innovative a dance. You just go for what works for you and what feels right. And and this felt right, and it ended up in a worldie. And we ended up getting three tens for it. Getting three tens in my guy liner and Paso outfit. And, and it sort of also cemented my love of Paso for the rest of... You know, I'd always loved it anyway, but then it be, it sort of became my dance for the rest of my career on Strictly. Um, you know, I always look forward to doing Paso. 
uh, and it became a bit of a template um, in terms of choreography. You know, uh, you, you see things like we do the, the sort of zigzag down the room straight towards the camera in promenade position. Um, originally, it was going to be a different chorus. I did that when the, when the chorus hits again at the end, when it goes back into... We go straight down the middle towards the camera in hold doing this zig, zigzag step. Um, and yeah, it, originally it was it was going to be a different step. I was doing something on the spot and it was the one bit of the routine. I was like, this feels massive in the music, this part right here. And I don't quite know how to send it and and, and utilize that big moment. Um, and I was trying to, I was trying something quite tricky with the arms and, and, and a bit sort of trying to get creative and it wasn't quite working. And then I remember Jason saying to me when we had our session with him, he said, at that moment, just take off down the middle. Just he, he didn't say exactly what step, but he said, just take off down the middle. And that was one of the best pieces of advice that anyone's ever given me on the show because I've used it so many times since then. It's like whenever there's a big moment coming up, whenever it takes off in the music, head straight down the middle towards that middle camera. And it always gets a reaction and it always feels, it always feels massive. And, and now you see week in, week out on Strictly, you see everyone using that zigzag straight down the middle. Um, I think everyone's cottoned on to the fact that it's, uh, it, get, it gets a big reaction, and especially in Paso. Um, so that became a bit of a template for the Passos that I do and, and also for, for ways of utilizing the camera and, and especially just having, having a bit that goes side, side by side in the middle and having a bit that heads straight down towards towards the main camera at speed um, always looks good on the show choreographically um, yeah and uh, like I say everything changed from that point for me and Susanna it, um, who got eliminated it was Fiona Fullerton and Anton got eliminated at Blackpool and off we went to week 9 now week 9 everything started to feel a little heavier I think there was more pressure it, in general, it's not always the case. I can't say it felt like that with Stacey, actually. But, but usually in a partnership, the, the period between Blackpool and the final starts to feel a little more serious. Like you start to feel the pressure on you and it's a little more stressful. And I, I always enjoy the first half of the series a lot more than I enjoy the second half because I don't like the bit where we have to get competitive and we have to think about, you know, making the final or winning or not. We just go out and entertain, you know, without without thinking too much about that in the first half. Um, so as we headed into week nine, like I say, suddenly the press were really behind us. Like So the newspapers were saying, you know, Susanna can make the final. She's the underdog. You know, can she win this? And the odds were shortening on Susanna and Kevin to win, blah, blah, blah. Everyone was really behind us. And, expect, and we just got tens and everyone was starting to expect. But in week nine, we had the bloody cha-cha-cha. And um, I, just, I just hate cha-cha-cha. I hate it. I, I hate the dance. I always have. Um, I don't know. I, the thing is for me, I talk about the worldy dances, you know, the, the, the big entertaining, I'll never forget this dance that, you know, the, the dances that inspire you to take up dancing yourself. Think of all your favorite dances on Strictly. The, like if, if anyone could say, what is my one single favorite dance I've ever seen on Strictly? I just, I guarantee you, no one is picking out a cha-cha-cha. There might be some that they'd quite like and whatever, but your absolute favorite 
on the show is never a cha-cha-cha. Because for me, cha-cha-cha is sort of, it's sort of Latin American dancing 101, generic Latin dance. And it's difficult to tell a story in cha-cha-cha, sort of narratively through the piece, without it being overtaken by the need to see sharp arms and sharp straight legs, you know, technically. And if the legs aren't straight, then the whole thing looks wrong. And it doesn't matter what what story you're telling and, and, and the timing is different. And it, it just seems that everyone's very concerned with the technique of the cha-cha-cha. And that should never be the focus. The technique is... I've always said is, is the technique of anything is a tool for you to use to create the best effect. It's not the effect itself. It's not the thing itself that you're trying to show. But in cha-cha, it, it always seems to be. If from the judge's perspective, from the audience's perspective, was it a good cha-cha-cha? I don't know. Did they straighten their legs or not? Yes, they did straighten the legs. Okay, then it's a good cha-cha-cha. Well, her legs were a bit bent sometimes. Okay, then it's not a good cha-cha. Everything seems to be based on that, which is why I just hate it. Um, and I'm, I've never been, it's never been my best dance for choreography. Um, and so, and this was before, like now they, they go Blackpool straight into musicals week. But in 2013, it was Blackpool was week eight. And then we had this week nine where we went back to Ells Tree from Blackpool and it wasn't a big theme week that's fun like musicals. So it's like there's this big come down and everything feels like back to normal again. And you forget that like there's been this massive build up to Blackpool. It's been really exciting and, and everyone's like, this is it. This is, can we get to Blackpool? Yes, we finally do it. Yes, we finally do this massive performance in Blackpool. And then it's done and you're excited. And then you get on a train back to London and you go, oh, it's not finished. We've we've got to carry on we've got to go back into training the next day and go back to Elstree and do another dance because it feels like Blackpool's the final when when you're there it feels like such a big occasion so week nine without it being musicals week came felt like a massive come down and it felt like there was a lot of pressure on me and Susanna to get high scores at this point and because you know people were saying could they could they be the ones that win it and we were opening the show which um I don't know, opening the show with a cha-cha is very, very hard. Um, you, you know, you want to try and get cha-cha out the way, to be honest, normally as a professional on the show. You're looking to either avoid it altogether, which is quite difficult, or get it out the way early um, so that you're not left with a dance like cha-cha-cha near the end because it can be your undoing a lot of the time. Um, but we've ended up doing it, opening the show, and the, the idea was that we were doing it uh, in a, like a recording studio. To um, It was a cha-cha version of the song Hound Dog. And the, it was quite a fun idea to start with in the, in the samba that we'd done on week four. I did this ridiculous shout when she'd gone, Kevin, and I'd gone, I'll save you. Which, by the way, for some reason, I had no idea how to say when it came to it. I knew that I was going to shout the words, I'll save you, because that was the story. But suddenly I became really aware of my accent because like I'm not American so you can't go into this big like Indiana Jones kind of I'll save you um and it would just sound weird anyway because it's like why is he doing that he's from Grimsby um but then I didn't want to do in my accent she goes help me Kevin and I, did, I didn't I didn't want to go I'll save you 
like for some reason just sounded really weird when, when I was doing it. So I tried to say it as, as normal as I could and it came out as, I'll save you. Um, so if you look back at the samba at the beginning of that, Kevin, I'll save you, just sounded so weird. So we decided to make a joke out of it um, that rather than, rather than her going Kevin, like as in come here and help me, um, we decided that I was gonna be chatting up Darcy by the judges table and she'd shout at me, Kevin, as if to say like, what, you know, what are you doing over there? So we're just riffing on the fact that we had a Kevin shout in, in, in Samba. So she did that and then we'd go into the dance and she started doing lock steps around me. So I, I went straight into, right, I've got, I've got to pull out every trick in the book here, straight down onto the floor, <laughs> make her appear higher than me, make her look like the star. Um, I'm going to stay on the floor. So it's all about her. Um, and then I got onto my knees and you can see with my arm, if you're watching this, Susanna and Kevin week nine, I'm literally, as she, I'm on my knees and she's locking around me because for some people who are just learning it, cha-cha-cha timing is really difficult um, because you have to sort of, you, you have to think of the first step being on the two rather than on the one. Um, so you're going two, three, cha-cha-cha, two, three, and it's difficult to pick out for, um, for people that haven't done it all their lives. And a lot of the time in rehearsal, Susanna was going off on the wrong count. So I was praying that she was going to go on the right count. And um, I'm literally, while I'm on my knees, you can see me with my arms, banging my arm up and down, trying to show her the timing of what she's doing. I'm like trying to pick out the count of the music for her um, so that she can do it. And then, um, yeah, you know, the focus straight away goes to straight legs. And Susanna was having a difficult time with doing the straight legs um, so, it, so it's slightly bent um, in the knees when she's doing the, the cha-cha locks and things you can see it straight away it's still quite entertaining a dance but like I say cha-cha always seems to become so so much about the technique of it and straight legs and, and, and it's clear that the legs aren't straight from the beginning um, I decided to do a lot in hold in this dance because I thought that the more that we do separate from each other, the more chance it's got to one, start to look messy um, and two, you know, the, the timing thing is an issue. So if I can keep her in hold, then at least I can keep control and, and help Susanna stay on the right count. Um, so we did a lot of choreography in hold. Um, like I say, it's still a good dance and, and she's still... Um, She's still going for it with a lot of energy, but it probably turned out to be one of our weaker dances. Um, and But, you know, that's mostly down to me because I just can't ever seem to get cha-cha right. If, if, if you look at most of them, like, who was the ones? Uh, so Susanna, um, yeah, Frankie the same. Cha-cha was one of our, one of our weakest. Um, Kelly wasn't a bad one. Kelly was quite good at... at, at cha-cha especially for week I think it was week two that we did it she did a good job of that um we did the flash dance one with Louise that, um so that was one of her better ones um um Susan um was was it was a great one but you know technically it wasn't it, it wasn't our best one and then the one I did with um with Stacy, like Stacy won't even watch it. She hates it. It was definitely our weakest dance of the series, and um, and we just joke about it all the time. Uh, and she won't watch it, and she says, "Yeah, that's because you can't do cha cha cha," which is uh, probably true. Um, oh, and with Annika as well. That was our first dance, um, cha cha cha. But but to be fair to Annika, that was only our first one. So 
Um, yeah, but I've just never been so successful with cha-cha-cha. Like Paso is, is very much my dance that tends to go well. And every, every pro has their dance and cha-cha just is my worst. Um, and then I thought um, I'll, I'll go back to ending down on the floor so that she looks like the star. So she pushes me down, pushes me away. Um, I'm on the floor on my back. So it's very much she's having her star moment, just trying to make her look as good as possible. But the judges predictably um, talked about the leg action and the technique and we still a decent score, but we went down from having, you know, nine and three tens. We got a seven and three eights. Um, so suddenly it put a lot of pressure on us. Um, but then we've gone into, oh, so it was Ben Cohen and Ben Cohen and Christina Rianoff that got eliminated that week. So I guess I was feeling a little, um, a little down after, after week nine, but then came musicals week and I love musicals week uh, on week 10. So I'm such a big fan of musicals. And I thought this is a chance for us to get a good story going because you know, we'll have a proper theme. Um, and originally, I can't remember what it was, but originally we were supposed to be doing something else. But then the, the idea of doing Good Morning came to us. I think someone else who had pitched it had already been eliminated. That, they, that That's what they wanted to do in week 10. And you're always a couple of weeks ahead in, in, in your plan of, of what your dances are going to be. Um, someone had got eliminated, I think, and and... They said, and it came to us, the producer said, what do you think about doing Good Morning? Because um, it's not being used anymore, but, you know, it could be quite a good one. Um, and I just snapped that up because it's, it's a great song um, and from a great musical singing in the rain. Um, and it would be quick step. And so it would be a good sort of dance to come back on after after the lower point of the cha-cha. So obviously doing Good Good morning from Singing in the Rain. What that number is famous for is the trick that they do with the sofa where they step over the back of the sofa and the sofa sort of tips over and they step, walk over it. So I said, right, what we need is a sofa and we're going to practice this all week. Um, and basically the whole dance became about that moment. Quick steps sort of... Um, if you've done a few ballroom dances already, then quick step is actually a lot easier than people think. Um, if you're doing it early on in the series, no, then quick step is, um, is, is difficult to learn straight off the bat. That's why, you know, like me and Stacy did quick step week one and it was a difficult one for her to learn for week one. It was a big challenge. But if you, if you're doing it later on when you've done a lot of ballroom already, then it's quite easy actually to teach. It doesn't feel as big of a challenge because um, because they already know all the all the sort of how to be in hold and, and how to connect to you as a, um, in the ballroom frame. And a lot of the steps is sort of running and galloping. So as long as you can do that whilst maintaining maintaining your frame and your connection, then you're sort of golden. Um, so I remember having a good week with this one with Susanna. She really understood what she was doing with it. And um, we put a lot of choreography in. I, I was really keen to come back all guns blazing this week after, after the cha-cha and prove how good she was. So we put a lot of choreography into it. And also the excitement of having extra dancers, um, and which I love. I love having the extra dancers to, to, to play with and to, to sort of emphasize the number. Again, there's the sort of train of thought from the the uh the ballroom competition fans that they 
for some reason they get it in their head that oh it spoils the number but you know I, I don't really understand that that argument I, th I think it's just different for them because you don't have extra dancers when when you're looking at a competition doing a quick step in in a competition but you know that's what dan dancing is most dancing that you see is done um you know like in in movies or in on a stage is done as a company and it has lots of elements to it it has props and it has setting and, and a company of dancers and back you know backing dancers and um they only serve to enhance the number really um so you know I, I never quite understand that argument of oh extra dancers just get in their way they're there to enhance and, and create a big piece um so I was excited about having a couple of extra dancers in. We had Patrick from uh, from Burn the Floor. He was in this one, and we had a nice little bit of choreography. Uh, I love the idea of again having Susanna as as the star. Um, so that that idea of always of the levels that I keep talking about of having Susanna up a level and me down. So I I actually put myself sitting on the sofa that we were going to tip over with my back to the camera and Susanna up on the stage in the middle of the two boys doing this first bit of choreography. So I thought that was the, the best way of putting her over as, as the star of the number with me just sat on the sofa. Um, so it started off like that. Then obviously we do a bit on the stage and then fly off onto the floor and do our, and do our bit on the floor. And it was so unfortunate that there's a tricky bit of there's a tricky foot pattern in the middle that I wanted to do, which was a um, it was a variation of a step that you often see on Strictly, but I'd figured out this way of doing it in a different way, in this sort of pendulum swinging way of um, of doing this tricky foot pattern in promenade, and it was going to happen right in front of the judges, and I was really excited about this little pattern that I'd figured out. And uh, it had gone well in rehearsal and it was quite tricky. And I, and I wanted everyone to think, you know, that she'd, she'd picked up a real tricky foot pattern. Unfortunately, something just went off, like she missed one, one little flick and we started doing it at separate times to each other. So we lost each other in, in that trick. And I remember feeling at the time, no, no, it just went wrong. And it, it was such a shame. And then I think that might have just put us off going into the rest of the routine. So if you're watching it now on YouTube, you'll see that bit in front of the judges where our foot pattern just goes off. And then because I think we're probably trying to throw a lot of energy into overcompensate after that, trying to save the number, we, we mess up the sofa a little bit. We kind of come falling off it um, and then collapse at the end. So it didn't quite go as we'd wanted it to go, but it was still a, one of Susanna's best dances, I think. And uh, I was really pleased with how it went. Um, yeah, apart from, apart from those couple of moments that just could have gone better. And I was just, I just thought, oh, if, if only they would have gone right. Cause we got seven, eight, nine, nine from the judges. And I just thought if only them couple of moments would have gone right, we probably would have got two tens from Lennon, Lennon, Bruno, but who knows, you know, we, um, we made the mistake. Um, but still a good week for us in, in, in terms of the whole, the whole series. And it was Mark Benton and Iveta Lukashuta that got eliminated that week. Um, then we went into the quarterfinal. And normally nowadays, the, uh, Musicals Week is the quarterfinal, but um, in 2013, um, it wasn't that way. So we had the quarterfinal. Um, we were given Argentine Tango. Now, I was really excited about this because I saw this as 
another one like the Paso, like a big dramatic dance. And people, the audience get very excited to see an Argentine tango. So I was really pleased that we had this um, because at this point, you know, you never know when you're going to get eliminated. It was sort of all the couples were good at this point. I didn't know whether we were going to make the final or not. There was a big push, you know, like in terms of the, the, the newspapers were starting to say that they thought we could and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, I, I didn't know any week we could have got eliminated at this point. So I was really pleased. Like what, what you want as, as a run-in, like, and pros have always got their eye on this, is, is what's their run-in towards the final, sort of the last sort of three, four weeks of the competition. You want to try and have a, a good run-in. And it's a difficult balance because you don't, what you don't want to do is start banking all your dances. I've seen pros do this before where they think, I'm not going to do the Paso yet, or I'm not going to do a jive yet. I'm going to save it. And they bank these dances thinking that, thinking that they're quite a good partnership and that I will still be there by week 10. That's when we'll do this. And that's when we'll do that. So that when we come to the important weeks, trying to, when everyone's good, we'll have good dances to do. But then what happens is if you're doing all the sort of, let's say more boring ones or your weaker ones, then the voting public are not voting for you and they don't get behind you and suddenly you slip into a dance off you can find yourself eliminated and i've seen it time and time again so i tend to be of the opinion of just go out and get good dances out there get some of your best ones out there early um, and entertain everyone early and then hopefully if you get to weaker dances hopefully you'll have enough support from from the viewing public anyway by that time that that's my approach to it but you've still got an eye on you know trying to look at those last few weeks what, what's going to work best for us you know which, which dances can we do so i was really pleased to get argentine tango going into the quarter final and i wanted to do traditional argentine tango music but I think, I don't know if there was, there was someone else doing traditional music for an Argentine tango and we'd kind of already done the art, traditional music for Paso and, and they didn't want to sh show any favoritism. So we didn't get the traditional one. They, they asked, you know, what other ideas have you got? So I came up with the idea of doing Smooth Criminal. Um, you know, I'd, I'd grown up watching Michael Jackson and been inspired by his dancing and Smooth Criminal was a great song. And I thought it would be like a good imagery, sort of wearing the suit and that sort of attitude of Smooth Criminal. And I had this, what I thought was a genius idea um, of doing the Michael Jackson lean forward that he does in, in Smooth Criminal. Um, so for the VT, we had to learn how to do it. So we had the... Um, we had some guys from Thriller, the musical, come down to our training room and teach us how to do it. And it basically consists of this, this um, board that you put on the floor, this big sort of heavy slab that goes down on the floor with two bolts um, projected out of it. And the person doing the lean has to wear these special boots. Um, and they're boots that sort of have enough give in them that you can move your heel around in them, like up and down. But at the front, they still give you a lot of support. Um, and underneath the boot, um, it, they're sort of the heel of, of them. Sort of, they have like a slight sort of metal heel like tap shoes. And the heel um, is shaped like a horseshoe. So if you imagine a, a, a big metal bolt coming out of the floor or out of this big slab that's on the floor, and then a horseshoe shaped heel that, that slides in around the bolt. So what you do is you clip into it 
into them with these boots and then you start to lean forward so the boots are, are, are fastened to the floor the boots now now they're around this bolt they can't move so you're fixed to the floor but you can come out of the boots with your heel a little bit so you start to lean forward and your heels are off the floor and you lean forward as far as you can just using your ankles being supported by the um, being supported by the the front of the boot which comes up quite high so using your sort of ankles and your shins and your leg muscles and your core to hold on to that but it looks like your heels are still on the floor actually your heels are out of the boot a little bit um, off the floor but because the heels of the boot are attached to the floor it looks like you're just still you've still got your heels on the floor and that's how you create that effect and I w I've never been so excited for doing anything on Strictly. I, I practiced it and practiced it and practiced it all week. Um, and you know, the, the more the week went on, the lower and lower I was getting into this lean. So excited about it, and it worked in the um, it worked in the rehearsal. And I saw it on the camera, you know, after our rehearsal at Elstree, and I thought this is going to be in my head. This was going to be one of the best moments in Strictly history. We had another world day on our hand. But on the night, it didn't happen. Um, for some reason, it, I could not get my heels clipped around these bolts. And you see this really, if you watch it back now um, on YouTube, you see this really awkward moment where I'm trying to put my heels in, um, into this thing and I'm looking down at the floor trying to move around and I just can't do it. They're not clipping in. So I, and it's getting to the point where I know I'm not gonna be able to do it to the music because I'm not clipped in. So it sort of failed, it's all failing around me and I'm panicking and Susanna whispers under her breath, um, what, what do we like, what do we do now? What, what, what shall I do? And I, and I sort of go, I'm, I've only got one heel clipped in, you're gonna have to improvise. And so, at which point Susanna goes off towards the camera, just improvising. I mean, bless her, she's not even a, she's not a professional dancer, so she's having to just do something to get away and the camera goes on to me while I'm desperately trying to do it on one leg um, but it just doesn't look the same it doesn't have the effect that we want to have um, because it was meant to be like there's a classic Argentine tango thing where the where the two dancers are leaning in towards each other with their top halves and their bottom halves are away from each other like their feet are away from each other and I wanted to do it like that, that we would lean on each other and then she would move away and I would sink into that lean. But it just didn't work. And I was so furious afterwards. And we'd had quite a stressful week because I talked in part, in part one about this series with Susanna about when you have an outside choreographer. And what was brilliant um, about Bill Deemer was that he came in with a routine ready to go. And if you come in with a routine already mapped out then I can change it as I go when I have more time with my partner you know if anything needs changing then that's fine but you've got something to work from some choreographers like to come in without a routine because they the way they it's just their the word their system the way they do it their process is they like to collaborate with you um, they don't like to just sit at home and make up a routine without having sort of spent the time with you first, which is fair enough, but that's not how I like to do it at all on Strictly because there's no time. So to start, I always like having a routine ready to go Monday morning. I, I can't imagine coming in without a routine ready. And some of the pros do this. Some of the pros come in on a Monday without a routine. I know because they've told me. Um, and they start the process of 
figuring the routine out on their celeb, sort of throwing their celeb around a little bit and just go, oh, we could do something like this and that might work. And um, Whereas I like to come in with a routine completely choreographed on a Monday morning and just start teaching the, the celeb the routine. And then if we need to change from there, we can change, but we've got a base to start from. And the, the, the Argentine tango choreographers, it's a difficult one with Argentine tango because none of us are Argentine tango dancers, the, the, the pros on Strictly. Um, we don't, you don't do it in competitions and, and we don't have a lot of experience of Argentine tango. So you want to lean on these experts. The problem is um, they have a particular view of it, the Argentine tango dancers. They have this particular view that it has to be done in a certain way. And, and really the sort of tricky style of Argentine tango that, that you see mostly on Strictly isn't really traditional Argentine tango. Um, traditional Argentine is, is a lot kind of slower and methodical and it's about the process of the way you move together and the attitude and the hold and the pressure between you. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you walk around like that on Strictly, whilst the purists will say, oh yeah, that's proper Argentine tango, it's not likely to win you many votes because it's, it doesn't feel dynamic and it's not exciting enough in, in terms of getting people to cheer and vote for you and clap and, and, all of, and get a 10 from the judges and all of that sort of stuff. So what everyone always goes for is lots of tricks, lots of fast flicky legs and tricks and lifts. Um, and the choreographers that I had for this Argentine tango with Susanna, I was saying to them, what I need is a trick that, that looks something like this. I need a lift that does this. I need some fast, teach me how to do those fast sort of noodly legs. And they would always say, yeah, well, that's not quite Argentine tango. That's not, and it's, it, I found it quite a difficult collaboration. It's not their fault. It's just the way they work um, and, and their view of their own dancing. But I found that particular week quite a difficult collaboration because, you know, they, they didn't come in with, any, with a routine. So we were starting from scratch on Monday um, and they wanted to teach us all about the pressure of the hands and um, you know the, the the way that you move slowly. They wanted to do a lot of technique work with us, and I just wanted them to give us a routine that looked impressive and that was dynamic and energetic. And I kept saying to them, like, I understand what you're trying to say, but I just don't think the audience and the judges really care that much about what you're saying. Like, we need to show something dynamic. So. By the time that their time was up with me, we didn't really have much of a routine. We'd done a lot of walking around slowly. Um, so I was panicking a bit on this week um, because I'm not an Argentine tango choreographer. So I spent a lot of time on YouTube look, watching Argentine tango and looking at choreography and, and trying, to, trying to emulate it and trying to, trying to take things and, and, and go, maybe we could do something like this and something like that and build a strictly style Argentine tango um, that also to smooth criminal, not Argentine tango music, um, that was going to be exciting and, and was going to hopefully look great and entertain everyone, but wasn't necessarily going to be traditional Argentine tango because you don't honestly get a lot of traditional Argentine on um, on Strictly. It always looks the part, you know, the, the costuming and, and, and attitude and lighting and sort of, you know, all of that is always very good. 
Um, but what everyone tends to go for is lots of fast, tricky legs and flicks and lifts. Um, but yeah, so it had been a really stressful week for me. I remember that being a stressful week. For, and um, for then the big payoff was the, the Michael Jackson lean and for that not to work. And like, I hate watching it back. If you watch it back now on YouTube, I just, it's, I always feel really awkward and like embarrassed when I, when I see that bit. You just see me panicking, looking down at the board. Um, so yeah, I remember coming off, and because it had gone wrong, I remember coming off so furious, and I, and I punched the wall really hard. I really hurt my hand, actually. But I remember just being, it was, it was the first time I was properly like angry coming off of a dance from Strictly, and I kind of wish I hadn't acted like that in front of Susanna, but um, I was just in such a mood. I remember being in such a mood after that. Um, and I think, you know, like I say, it's the, it's the business end of Strictly, it's the pressure end, and every year on that i've done on strictly if i've been you know past blackpool i always have at least one moment of sort of uh, have a bit of a breakdown at one mo on one week where where the stress gets to me like for some reason it always happens every year and it became a running joke between like me and the um producers where it's like oh kevin's having his breakdown week and, and they would laugh like oh here he comes um and we'd go into a new season and they go, right, we're not going to have our breakdown week this week, this year, are we? Um, but I think that that was definitely, it was, was the quarter final on, on the 2013 series. Cause obviously as well, we'd gone from Paso um, being such a high at Blackpool to then have the come down of the cha-cha in, in week nine. Week 10 was a good dance, but we made mistakes in it. So we knew it wasn't quite what we wanted it to be. And then, for it all to go wrong in the Argentine tango. It was like three weeks in a row of like, when everyone had just got behind us after Blackpool. And also I think around this point, this is when I started to see a turn from the press as well. And this was my first experience of it. And I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but from the press being so up on Susanna, um, Susanna at the time was going through um, that she was gonna be moving over to Good Morning Britain on ITV from BBC Breakfast. And I think the press had kind of caught wind of this. And suddenly they were start, the press decided that that was a reason to attack her um, and, and make her look bad. Like it was some bad, like she's just changing jobs. You know, people change jobs all the time. People take job offers for more money or, you know, for Susanna, for her, she said it, um, that she'd get to do it in London rather than Manchester, um, which means she'd get to spend more time with her kids. That's why she was doing it. And, uh, but the press decided to turn on her. And I remember seeing a, um, an article in one of the, uh, let's just say one of the main newspapers, um, that, that the headline was, was something like, is Susanna getting too big for her boots on Strictly? And the whole article, was about a chat that someone at the newspaper had obviously picked up the phone to like a relation of Susanna's who was playing golf with someone. And that someone had said, oh, do you think all this will go to her head? And, and, and the relation had said, no, not Susanna, not at all. And the whole article like, was headlined with, is she getting too big for her boots? And then the article was basically saying, no. But the, art, the headline is the bit that does the damage. 
and, and it was such a ridiculous story and I couldn't believe it. I, that was my first experience of sort of the way the press behave um, with that sort of thing. And they were really painting this picture of Susanna where weeks before they'd been all for her, but then suddenly they decided they wanted to turn on her and they were painting her as this person with these ridiculous articles. Um, so yeah, I definitely was feeling sort of mounting pressure at this point. Um, who got eliminated? Ashley Taylor Dawson and Ola Jordan got eliminated that week. And then you get into the semi-final. So imagine like pressure's building and now you've got two dances to take care of. But at least I thought we, we, we had Foxtrot and Salsa. And it was sort of a tale of two stories. I, had, I thought, again, in, for me at the time, naively, I thought Salsa, brilliant, perfect. We, we, this, that'll be a great one for us. She's got lots of energy. Salsa's a great dance, blah, 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 blah. Um, but actually, Salsa, like Cha-Cha, has never particularly been a great dance for me on on Strictly in, in general. There's been a couple of good ones, but I'm always a bit nervous of Salsa. Um, for some people, they feel like it's their thing. For me, see, for me personally, I always find Salsa a really fun thing to like to do. For Everyone enjoys dancing Salsa, say, at a club. But unless you're watching someone who's really good at it, like, you know, sort of the best, it's slightly... I always find it a bit boring to watch. For me, it's one of the more, and I know that might sound surprising because salsa seems like a, a fun one. And sometimes it is. The good ones are really good, but most of them for me aren't that exciting um, to watch. But I thought it was going to be a, um, a great dance for us. But we had the same problem in terms of a choreographer. We, we got another choreographer that didn't have a routine ready to go. He wanted to collaborate. And I just, I, I remember being so tired at this point in the series that I just had no ideas. Uh, I, I, I'm, you, don't, you don't do salsa in the ballroom competition world, so I had no experience of, of making salsa choreography. You get to put lifts in it, and I'm not a particularly great lifter. Um, and I had a foxtrot to take care of as well, and I was so tired, and the press were attacking Susanna a bit, and, you know, the last couple of weeks had gone wrong, and I just remember... I remember thinking, please just give me a routine in this salsa, but it, they want it to be a collaborative one. And I don't think salsa was our best dance, really, when you look back at it, the semi-final. So if you're watching it on YouTube now, it, we ended up just for the choruses, we, we kept repeating the same bit of choreography in the, in the chorus, because one, I think I was tired. The collaboration didn't quite work out um, with the choreographer and um, Suzanne had two dances to learn, so I didn't want to overcomplicate it. Um, and in terms of a theme, they kept the producers kept asking what we're going to do with this theme. Like I think we were all a bit out of ideas at the time, and I initially come up with this idea of like a dance mat that we would make the choreography and use the floor projections like a dance mat. So you know those dance games that you like an arcade dance game where it goes left, right, and forward and back that we would have projections on the floor on certain points when it, wherever we would step, like we were stepping on the mark we were supposed to, like there'd be an explosion of something, explosion of colour and, um, and, and, and a point scoreboard up on the back that it was like Susanna versus Kevin in this arcade game. But working it out to do it 
to hit the exact points with our feet on the floor projections in the little time that we had proved to be a really difficult process and it just ended up being we had the scoreboard at the back and some sort of arcade game graphics that were going on on the floor but not particularly related to anything that we were doing um and yeah the routine was slightly weak uh, we did our best um but i think it was a slightly weak dance for us but it got four eights um so you know so we we did okay um and but the other one was foxtrot and, and that was our saving grace and the the foxtrot one you know it was another ballroom dance and you've done a lot of ballroom by this point um I went all out, I went full Kevin from Grimsby with like wearing a pair of glasses, like anything. It was like, this is the difference between us making the final or not, I'll do anything. Um, so I was, I was going, you know, flat out like with, with glasses and everything. Um, and just to highlight the importance of, of the song, if you've got a good, what I call like a karaoke song that everyone knows, that everyone can sing along with, it always works in your favor. Um, so, we use the song, you know, you're just too good to be true, can't take my eyes off of you. Um, so that hopefully in the chorus, everyone would go, da, 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 da. and I think I even put my hand to my ear um, at one point as we hit the chorus, so that trying to get the whole crowd involved. Um, because I think if the audience are at home having fun singing along to the song, it might be another reason for them to get behind you. And, ev and all the pros think like that. Where, where's the song that I can use that, that everybody loves? Like everyone loves a karaoke song. That's why Sweet Caroline has been used sort of 1900 times on Strictly because it's such a great karaoke song that everybody loves. Um, so yeah, we used that and um, we had this little idea of, I had in mind like the, the sitting on a bench, uh, like a Forrest Gump kind of setting where like there's a box of chocolates and um, this sort of sweet little relationship. And um, I thought that I'd be offering her chocolates and and she, she wouldn't want one. She'd move away from me on the bench. But then there was a, there was a discussion on, you know, with the producers, do, do we want to make it like Susanna's moving away from him or do we want it to, to make it just a happy a happy little narrative and there's no worry about that and so so in the end it was something like that we didn't want to make it too like oh he's being rejected because also if, if it looks like she's rejecting me in the narrative then it might not look great on her somehow so we decided to just make it happy and that number went really well and we ended up getting two tens and I had no idea whether we would make the final or not whether we'd have to be in a, a dance-off but at this point obviously you're thinking about it um and to make the final was was just was incredible was was, was wonderful um unfortunately it was patrick robinson and and anya that got eliminated um and suddenly we found ourselves in the final of strictly come dancing and i was so made up to there was me and aliash um both in our in our first year had both made the final and i remember us having a bit of a moment about it me and ali um just sort of hugging it out and congratulating each other like we've done it we're in the final and we both said you know look whatever happens from here whatever happens in the final we've made the final let's enjoy it um so in the final obviously you get you get um a judge's pick which nowadays it's it's more of a just a, a dance that the judges enjoyed and that they want to see again for you know for i think whatever would make the best final 
Um, but back then, the, it, it was very consciously um, a dance that the judges thought we needed to improve. They wanted to see it again because they think we can do it better now that we've had more time and practice. So the judges chose for us um, the quick step because, like I said, that was the dance in musicals week that it, it was a really good dance for us, but there was a couple of things went wrong in it, like the sofa and the little tricky foot pattern. So they chose that because they said, if, if you can get those bits right, then it'll go down as a great dance. So we're pleased to get that. You want to get a good judges pick, like you're hoping for a dance that's going to be a dynamic one rather than a one of the more boring ones. So I was really happy with that. Then you get your own choice of dance, um, which obviously we were going to go with um, Paso because it was our best one like from Blackpool. Um, and then you get to do a show dance. And there's sort of a few different types of show dance that you can do, I've, I, I can see now. At the time, I'm not sure how aware I was of this, but there's either, you either go down the, the big fun energy route, or you go down a sort of more serious contemporary route, sort of barefoot contemporary dance. Um, or you do a classic ballroom Fred and Ginger style. Um, and, and most of the show dances sort of fall under one of those three. Um, and I, I think originally I'd wanted to do something more energetic, but then, um, you know, other people were doing energetic things as well. Brendan and Sophie were doing fun. Um, um, Ali Ash and... Abby were doing something big and energetic so I think we in the end I also thought you know how can I show Susanna off in her best light we're already doing Paso what's the next best thing that she can do and so I, I went back to the waltz and also the fact that we were going to be doing quick step and Paso two fast-paced dances I decided to do something slow we decided to do um, your song um, it's the Elton John song called your song but it was the Moulin Rouge version that we wanted to use um, and I thought if we can play to our strengths, we can do a, um, a sort of, oh, who is it that it was inspired by? I'm forgetting now. Is it, uh, what's what they called? Gower, Gower and Champion. I'm going to have to look this up on YouTube, but, but, uh, like I said, I often watch a lot of things on YouTube to get inspired by sort of old numbers and, and thinking oh, I could do, I could do something like that. I, you know, I could use... Um, I could use that idea and do this with it. For example, like when I, when we did the um, couple's choice with Stacey, I used a, an old Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse number as the narrative and dynamic, but wanted to do hip, sort of a hip hop, uh, lyrical hip hop style of choreography to update it. So, um, wait, let me look this up right now on YouTube. Yeah, Marge and Gower champion as this dance couple. And if you type in Marge, uh, Marge and Gower champion um, into YouTube and the number smoke gets in your eyes um, and, and click on that, they do this sort of ballroom number that it starts off in one setting and then they end up going into their sort of dream little world and dancing among the, the way they've set it out. It looks like they're dancing among the stars. And they do these things where they're sort of holding on to each other's arms and turning around, um, sort of swinging around like kids play doing like a roundabout. 
And I love that imagery and, and I thought it was really classical and beautiful. So I thought we could do something very sort of rotary and, and using some of those movements and with, with that style of dancing among the stars and dancing to your song. So that became our show dance. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a, a, a really beautiful number. Like it's, it's not your typical sort of lifts you know, lifty, contemporary or dynamic energy kind of um, show dance, or even really kind of uh, particularly Fred Astaire, but it was very ballroomy. And it was just using some of our stuff from the waltz that she did. Um, and we used the neck lift at the end where she hangs onto my neck and, and goes round. I call that the Air France. I've done that a couple of times on, on Strictly. Um, because I saw it in an Air France advert once. <laughs> I used to do it in Burn the Floor, and then there was an advert for Air France um, with a dance couple doing it. So I've always called it the Air France. Um, and as long as you can build up enough speed, it's not too difficult a lift to do. You can actually just, as long as, as, long as the, your partner is holding on tight and holding around your neck, like really gripping on, it's, it's just a case of building up speed and letting the centrifugal force take her feet off the ground and away from you and just carry on spinning. And the difficult part is coming down from it without it looking clumsy. So you sort of start slowing down and the idea is that the girl starts to reach with her feet towards the floor but keeping slightly arched upwards. Um, so she's keep her core up but start lowering her feet down and I'd hold on to like her waist and lower her down and, and then you know, dizziness is a problem afterwards. Um, and we had a ramp um, as a prop that, that was coming down from the stairs so we could kind of go up and down the ramp a little bit. Um, when they were first putting it in, I remember when doing the rehearsals on Friday, I remember Brendan seeing that ramp and, and he thought it was just something that the techie boys, we, like the prop boys were using to get them this other prop down. I didn't realize it was part of my staging <laughs> and he was like oh look at that ramp we could use that ramp well, why don't we put it down there and I had to go over to him and go nah, Brendan that's mine sorry uh, you can't you can't have that <laughs> it's part of my set and it's like all oh, right sorry I thought it was just they were just using it to get the prop down um but so the final went went really well for us um for our quick step we got the the step right that we got wrong the first time the fall over the uh, sofa went a lot better it was a lot more clean. You can't use the extra dancers in the final. That's the only thing. We had to make do without the extra dancers because um, it's a fairness issue. You can't have like someone doing a dance with extra dancers and someone not. So if you choose that one, you just not. You have to adapt it. You're not using the extra dancers. Um, we got uh, 8, 9, 10, 10 for that. So really good. Paso Doble, 9, 10, 10, 10. So again, Craig didn't give us a 10. Um, that also became a staple part of my Strictly career, getting three tens and a nine from Craig, <laughs> just always refusing to budge um, until he just gave me a job on Strictly Ballroom. So that's good. <laughs> um, and that went really well. And the show dance went, went really well. The thing that killed us a bit with the show dance was that Darcy, like everyone seemed to think it was great, but Darcy made the comment, there's no wow factor. Um, which I'm not sure I agreed with. I think there was a wow factor in a, in a sort of classical, beautiful way. They didn't, you don't necessarily have to do lots of lifts and and have sort of, you know, fire and, and props and, and all of that to necessarily get wow factor. But I think maybe in her personal opinion, she was just looking for something dynamic in the show dance and we did a more sort of classical style. Um, and then so comes results time. And I remember just before the results, um, 
Susanna saying to me, you do know we're not going to win. And, and I said, what do you mean? Because I guess at this point, like as much as I always stress that Strictly should be about the entertainment and it should be about the, the work itself, you know, the dances themselves and the improvement and the context of all that. Um, it shouldn't just be about winning. Dancing should never just be about winning because it's dancing's an art and it's a it's a creative thing to do and it's about expression and it's about entertainment. Um, it's not a sport. And as much as I always stress that, of course, when you're in that situation, if you're in a competition or, or if you're on Strictly, like that moment when they're about to announce the winner, of course, there's that part of you inside that is hoping they're going to say you. So I, I had a bit of hope that perhaps we were going to win. Um, it was down to three couples because that was it was in them days. You had these four couples used to start, and then they would. Uh, it was in two parts. They'd do one part. You do two dances. There'd be some voting, and then at the start of part two, they'd eliminate someone. So they eliminated Sophie Alex Baxter and, and Brendan Cole, and the three left was me and Susanna, Ali Ash and Abby Clancy, and. Uh, Natalie Gomedi and Artem, Artem Chigvintsev. And um, yeah, who knew what was going to happen? I, I didn't have a clue who was going to win. I couldn't call it really. I suppose Natalie and Artem had, had been in a dance off or two that I can remember. Um, and she, Natalie was probably like, she was so amazing and, and probably slightly too good from the start. So sometimes it happens like that on Strictly that if someone's really good from the beginning, they don't end up getting the votes towards the end. Um, so I started to piece together in my head, maybe it's between us and Ali Ashanabi, who knows. Um, but Susanna said to me, we're, we're not going to win. Uh, like it doesn't like I, I just I, I need you to know that and I don't know why she said that I think she just had an inkling she had that feeling that we weren't going to win or maybe she was just um, protecting herself and me for if we didn't win hoping you know it wouldn't be wouldn't be too sad and I, w I wouldn't have been anyway but you know anyway she didn't think we were going to win and then they announced the results the winners of 2013 were Abby Clancy and Alias Goyanets and I guess in that moment, my, my first thought was I was I was made up for Ali Ash because we'd we were really good mates by this time. We'd, we'd been through Burn the Floor together for a couple of years, and um, we didn't always get on actually in Burn the Floor, me and Ali. Um, but when we both came on Strictly, we 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 got a lot closer and we became really good mates. And um, I was really proud of him on that night, and he got quite emotional. He had a tear in his eye, and I was really proud of him. And um, I wasn't too disappointed actually. I, I, like I wasn't, of course I was hoping there was a chance we might win, but I, you know, I wasn't too disappointed. I was really proud of the fact that we'd made the final and, and I think Susanna had come a long way from week one and, and she'd been a great first partner for me. Um, so that's it. That's, that was my first series of Strictly. From that point, I guess I was just hoping that I'd have a job the next year, that they'd keep me on. I was proud of how we did in that first year, making the final. Um, I was proud of some of the dances that we'd done. Probably most proud of the, obviously the Paso and I think the Quick Step and the Waltz. And probably, maybe you've got different favourites if you've been watching along on YouTube or been listening to this. So we'll do another Instagram live chat at some point and um, maybe you can tell me which ones, which ones you like the best or what you thought. And also tell me... Um, 
you know, oh, I will mention the Paso one more time um, because I think that was the one dance out of all, all of ours that was a worldie of a dance. Um, maybe we should do an episode on worldies, looking back at past Strictly worldies. Um, I've got uh, some opinions on them. Um, but maybe you can let me know when we do maybe an Insta chat or on Twitter, which uh, series you'd like me to cover or which couples in particular or any pros or celebrities in particular you'd like me to talk about or dances or... Um, and uh, we'll do a whole watch along on YouTube and uh, we'll do a Strictly retrospective. So thanks for listening to uh, these two parts of my 2013 series. Don't know who we're going to do next, but um, I'll talk to a few people and, and see what you guys think and we'll do another one next week. All right, everyone. Keep safe, stay indoors.